question. Have you got what it takes to follow Jesus? Or we could say it a way I've said it years gone by. Are you a fan or are you a follower? There's a big difference. Big difference. Uh, a, a lot of the cowboys guys in here come out of the closet when we win. They're fans. But the dedicated followers are the guys who keep losing every year terribly and still show up and wear redskin jerseys. Those are followers. I mean, they're dedicated. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. They'll fight you. So kind of applies to Jesus in the church, too, just a little bit. A guy named Charlie Moore moved into a new community with his family, and he wanted to make friends, so he joined a local softball league. In the opening game, old Charlie took his family to the park, and he went out to join the team. Well, Charlie got up to bat, set his feet, squared his shoulders, and as the ball came across the plate, he missed it by a mile, and the crowd groaned. But one voice could be heard over all the people, you can do it, Mr. Moore. The second pitch came again. He swung wildly and missed. And again, a voice could be heard. You can do it, Mr. Moore. The third pitch, he swung again, and the voice cried out, that's okay, Mr. Moore. When, when the game was over and the family got in the car driving away, the dad turned to his son and he said, son, was that you that yelled out, you can do it, Mr. Moore? And the son said, yes, it was me. And the dad said he appreciated the son's encouragement, but he wondered, why did you call me Mr. Moore? Well, the boy said, I didn't want anybody to know I was related to you. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? In any church, there are people we call followers of Christ, and then there are folks we could call admirers or fans. You know, fans are the ones who, well, they attend church, uh, they don't actually get involved or do much because they've got other priorities. But these people are happy to show up, and if things are going well, they'll shout out some encouragement or applaud, but they really don't act like they are related to Jesus as soon as they're gone. They're willing to shout out, you can do it, Jesus, and that's about it. But the difference between a fan, an admirer, or a follower the fan, the spectator, the admirer just shows up, and they'll stay as long as there's a benefit to them. But if it doesn't benefit them, they usually don't stay. But as long as they're happy, they'll show up. But they get easily offended when they can't get their own way. A popular British preacher named W.E. Sangster told of a lady that he knew about, and he says the church choir was scheduled to sing in a town hall meeting, and the platform wasn't large enough for the entire choir. So a few choir members had to stand at a slightly lower level. And apparently this woman had been one who was forced to stand on the lower level. And Sangster said she was so offended, she quit the choir and left the church. That's a fan, not a follower. You know, I guess she didn't know that Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53. The woman was not a follower. Fans are people who walk away. They're just admirers or spectators. You've seen them at ball games. They'll be at a basketball game or a football game, and 
when the team's getting killed, their team gets so far behind in the score, they'll never catch up. It's 10 minutes before the close of the game, and you can take a look in the AT&T Center or go to one of the Spur games, and uh, the dedicated, the followers, the people with the jerseys and the beads and the hats, they're there. They're there to the last shot and the buzzer, but everybody else leaves. They want to get to their cars and get home before it gets too crowded. So they're not going to be there to continue to encourage and support the team. The team's losing, and they can't meet the expectation the fan or the spectator has for that game. Things aren't going the fan's way, so they go away. Well, that's what happens here in John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. But why did they just stop following him? Well, he had offended them. He said something they didn't like, and they were pushed beyond their comfort zone, so they left, and they didn't come back. You see, the crowd wasn't there to follow Jesus. They weren't really there for him at all. They were there because they expected Jesus to be there for them. They wanted something for themselves. It reminds me of David in the cave of Adullam. It says that people, the men that came to him were distressed, discontented, and in debt. Sounds like the average church. (laughs) They weren't there to help David. They were were there for what they could get from David because things were cooking pretty well for David as a fighter. So they figured, well, Saul's on the way out. We'll just join up with him. Now, You know, just a day or so before this incident occurred, Jesus had been teaching a huge crowd. And the scripture says over 5,000 men had gathered along with women and children. So maybe 20,000 people to hear Jesus preach. But as the day progressed, Jesus knew the people were getting hungry, so he performed a miracle. Jesus took five small loaves of bread. Now, they're not loaves like you think of loaves, like a tortilla, five of them and two small fish from a little boy's lunch. He blessed them, broke them, gave them to the disciples to hand out to the crowd to feed them. Now think about the massive crowd. They didn't count women and children. They only counted men. You got 5,000. So at a minimum, without kids, you'd have 10,000. So 15,000 to 20,000 people. And everybody got fed. Then Jesus sent the disciples around to pick up the leftovers, And there were 12 baskets full of food left over. The little boy sowed a little. He reaped a lot. God's able to multiply whatever we sow. The the crowd was impressed. I mean, really knocked out. Some began to talk about Jesus being taken by force, and let's make him our king. And knowing that, Jesus slipped away from the crowd. And uh, that evening, he walks on the water. He joins his disciples in their boat as they cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so in John 6, verse 24, it says, Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got in their boats, went over to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, they went searching for Jesus. I guess the question is why? Well, because he fed them. He had given them a free meal. You offer a free lunch, and they said, we'll show up. They'd come back for more food. But he didn't come to earth to offer a luncheon buffet. Jesus has no intention of feeding them this time, and they're not happy about it. So they want him to do another miracle, but he won't be pressured to do it. Now, why isn't Jesus going to do another miracle? 
Well, because Jesus didn't want spectators, admirers, or fans. He wanted dedicated, devout followers. You know, and what does a follower look like? Well, it comes down to a difference of motivation and priorities, doesn't it? A follower is the type that means, remember some of you older people like me, can you remember that old gospel song we sang in church a lot, Where He Leads Me? I ain't going to get any royalties for this, but where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Don't make fun of me. I'll go with him, with him all the way. Well, where will you go? Wherever he leads me. How far will you go? I'll go all the way. See, fans don't actually sing it that way. They change the chorus. It sounds a little different, like, I'll go with you till the summer. And baseball games and vacation and campouts and lake getting away. I'll go with you till the winter. And I have to spend three months in Florida at my condo or wherever, and I don't really want to get involved in serving him. I'll go with you till life's a bummer. And I don't feel like getting out of bed or somebody offended me, or I don't feel like God's answered my prayers the way I want. If not, I'll say so long, so long, all the way. <laughs> See, spectators, fans, I know, I know. Where's an agent when you need one? <laughs> fans walk away, or they'll stay and damage a community or a church. But dedicated followers follow Jesus wherever he leads me. And sometimes it's not, it's not a happy place. Sometimes it's good times, sometimes it's bad times. You can see the difference between a fan, a spectator, an admirer, and a follower and how they worship. You know, fans go to church to experience the rituals. The rituals make them feel religious, but those rituals don't make any difference in how they live. But a dedicated follower goes to church to experience Jesus, and that experience of touching the Lord during worship impacts them, kind of changes them, touches the heart. And that experience shapes them and molds them into a different kind of a person. And they worship with the full expectation that that experience will produce some kind of a change in their heart. So for fans, the spiritual connection of worship is kind of really hard to grasp. They don't, they don't get it. They show up five seconds before the last song and come to church. Not pointing out anybody, of course. <laughs> but no matter where I go and preach, it's the same. And then others are right there from the first beat. Now, Jesus told a crowd filled with admirers, not followers. He said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats this bread, he'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves and said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Sounds like cannibalism. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up for the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, if we hear that on a first reading, it sounds bizarre. I mean, doesn't it? Sounds a bit kind of wild. 
I mean, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Something's not quite right here. And if you take those words literally, you'll be right. But Jesus is not talking about this literally. He says, I'm speaking spiritually. He's speaking spiritual word with spiritual truth. Jesus taught this way many, many times in his ministry. You remember what he said we should do when our eye causes you to sin? Plug it out. And what are we supposed to do if our hand causes us to sin? Cut it off. Now, if Jesus was speaking literally, we'd be in a world of hurt. Right? Everybody knows that. But everybody knows he's not talking literally about plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand. But, you know, some people say, well, you can lust in the dark. You know that. You, if you plucked out your eyes, you can still think. Right? Come, folks, think with me. Don't just sit there. Think, think with me. Shoot, yeah. You got a lot of memories. You, could, you still think about them. You haven't got any eyes. <laughs> Thank you, ladies over here. You get it. I, I, a religious crowd is the most difficult crowd in the world to talk to. They have been pre-programmed. Something's messed up. I don't know. So he's not talking about eating his epidermis and dermis and or, or drinking his hemoglobin. He's referring to the fact he's going down a cross, and when that happens, his flesh is going to be torn, his blood's going to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. See? And, and he's talking about us having life because Jesus did what he did on the cross, and we find spiritual nourishment as we feed on his sacrifice, as we trust in him. So we're not here to go through a rit ritualistic ceremony. We're not here to fulfill our quota of religious activities. You know, I'm just thinking about the phylacteries on the head when he said, I will put your word in my mind and all. Well, some of the Hebrews took that literally and just put a bag of scripture on their head. But that didn't change anybody. You want, to put it, you want to put it in your memory so that the Holy Spirit can bring that word to your mind and you can, you can think on that. It wasn't about putting a bag of scriptures up here. This, this is what religious people do. So we're not here to punch a spiritual time clock. I'm here to feed on Jesus and what he did for me. I am who he says I am. Boy, I was anointed. That was powerful. You're not who your mother-in-law said you are. You're not who your ex-husband said you are. You're not what your past said you are. You're who God has declared you to be. And that's a, that's a powerful word. Jesus, who died for us, was buried, rose from the grave. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. Not because it's a ritualistic requirement, but I am remembering what was done to put me here to change my life, the sacrifice that was paid for me. His body was broken. His blood was shed. I am a forgiven child of God. I'm accepted in his beloved. He took on the cross the stripes, and by his stripes we are made well. There is spiritual healing in that. There is physical healing in that body. And our song should remind us of his sacrifice. Our prayer should be based on Christ's sacrifice. The sermon should find its power in what Jesus did on the cross. Without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are are wasting our time really the bread and the cup are simple reminders of that truth and there's an impartation of cleansing when we take that cup and healing and strength or encouragement when we eat that bread it's not some old dumb dead ceremony so unless we feed on the sacrifice of Christ in our daily lives our face is just a ritual and that tendency towards ritualism can hit any one of us 
uh, I remember talking to a group of pastors about how they did things in their church, and one of the men mentioned that in their congregation, they had two worship teams. One worship team would lead singing one Sunday, and the other team would lead on the following Sunday. And in the weeks before that led up to worship, they'd spend time practicing the songs. But their practice experiences were slightly different from each other. The first team would work on precision and perfection. Make sure every chord, every word, every note was perfect. And when they got up in front to lead the singing on Sunday, they were technically correct, but they weren't very inspiring. But when the second team led singing, it felt like they were worshiping as they led. And the pastor said it seemed like the whole audience kind of responded better to them. Well, what, what was it? the second team did differently. He said they didn't just practice through the week, they worshiped as they practiced. They sang the songs not out of precision, just out of love and what the word said and meant. And one more thing, when Jesus didn't do what the crowd wanted him to do, all the spectators and fans got offended and then they insulted him in front of everybody else. In John 6, we're told that the Jews began to grumble about him and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? That's verse 24 of John chapter 6. So the crowd's upset with old Jesus. They begin to grumble about him. And then they say something nasty to those around them about him. And they're saying that Jesus was a liar. He couldn't possibly have come down out of heaven because we know who his folks are. And these guys are just spectators, admirers, or fans. They're not committed to Jesus, so they didn't care that they insulted him or that they spread discontent among those who might follow him. All they care is that they justify themselves for leaving him. They're, they're willing to damage Jesus so they can look good in their own eyes, and fans will do that in church. Cindy and I were in New York uh, a month ago or so at Hillsong Conference and. Uh, I was invited by Brian uh, Houston, the leader, to come to the about 300 pastors around the country that are Hillsong pastors. And uh, we've been friends for 30 years since we were little kids. And in the early days when they became, I know I must have goofed up. What did I say? What did I say? We were little kids? Oh, we had little kids. Sorry. We had little kids. I'm way older than that. Well, all hell broke loose. That, that, that country, you know, with the Church of England, it's very small-minded in, in religion. These are wonderful people, by the way, in the, in, in the nation. But in the church life, it's really petty, small-minded, no big thinkers. And so Brian Houston blew the thing wide open. Their music changed everything around the world. We sing a lot of their music all in our city. I'm sure many, many churches sing their, their kind of songs in worship. It's a little more freer style, uh, a little more a little more hip or whatever. So it was a big shock. And then one of his main guys uh, got involved in some other marital thing and tried to take, it was a mess, tried to steal the, the Hillsong, thought he could split the church and justify leaving, criticized Brian. Then the media got involved of it and it was scandalized. And Brian kind of thought he's going to lose the whole thing. 
He hadn't done anything wrong, but he just thought, I'm going to lose the whole thing. And I remember looking him in the eye, and he told the preacher sitting there, he, he looked over at my table, and he says, and you said to me, Rick, you said, I'm not a fair-weather friend. I'll not leave you or forsake you, no matter what happens. And he'll be here for my birthday, preaching on the weekend of February 9th and 10th. O'Brien will be here. And we're still best friends after 30 years together. You know, a friend loves at all times. He may not condone everything, but he loves at all times. If you just love me in a good time, that ain't much of a friend. That, that's not a committed friendship. A, a real friend is not an acquaintance. Acquaintances leave if it doesn't benefit them. Or if they think because somebody doesn't like you, they don't want to be unliked, so they back away from you. And that's what they're doing with Jesus, see? But I, t I snuggle up close to my friends when they're in trouble. That's when they need you. Who needs you when everything's going well? Uh, you need a friendship when things are not going well. And then otherwise, people just cut up and leave, I guess. They're not qualified for your future. So they say nasty things about leaders. They say nasty things about people who make decisions they're unhappy with. And they spread rumors and discontent so they can justify their decisions. But a committed follower wouldn't think of hurting Jesus. Jesus is what we're here for. And after the crowds leave Jesus, after they all walk away, never to return, Jesus turns to his staff, his 12, and he says, well, boys, you're going to go away also? And I love what Peter says. To whom? To what? To where? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. That's in verse 6. Peter said, I'd like to get out of this thing. You're creating all kinds of problems. But there's nowhere else to go. You've got, you've got the life. You've got the word. Everything else is hopeless. So we're stuck. We're staying with you right to the end. And Peter was saying, we won't, don't want to leave you. Where else are we going to go? You've got what we need in our lives. And we believe in you and know who you are. We don't want anyone else. So we'll follow you wherever you lead us. And Jesus had said this, remember? If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, last week we ended the service with a song called New Wine. And I believe the lyrics of this song are real timely for our church and this season that we're in. And many of you that are here. And the chorus begins with, make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. And that's the language of somebody who wants to follow Jesus and the will of Jesus for their life. I'm going to ask everybody for just uh, two minutes to stand, if you're, not, if you're not infirmed, to stand as we sing it, and then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. But are you a follower or just a fan? an admirer, a spectator. If you think following Jesus means everything's going to be perfect in my life, you're going to be offended. I mean, God will put you in places and allow things you didn't expect. And if you're not committed, it'll be easy to turn back. And a lot of folks, when they hit a hard time, you never see them again. Don't be that way. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're in or you're out. You're committed or you're not. It's that simple. Jesus doesn't have maybe anywhere. No maybe. If I feel like it. If it doesn't rain. Nope. I'm for you. Jesus, he that is 
not for me is against me. He just made it real clear. So I want everybody to know good or bad days, happy days, sad days, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm not a, I'm not a politician. I'm not in a pushing any party or any agenda. Or I, I just in love with the one who died for me, saved me. And I'm, I love you. I'm glad, I'm glad to be a friend. I'm glad you're here. So it's a very simple little message because we start a brand new series next week. But I just thought it's important to ask your own heart and life, am I just a fan when it's good? So when there's a real, when something special is happening in a church or it goes through a shake and you'll see people leave, then when things are going really good, like in a marriage, everybody's in to be associated, like groupies. But when it's not good, then they kind of back away. No, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever happens, like little Esther said, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to obey. Jesus said, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. God can handle that. Talk to him about it and say, I'd really rather appreciate you doing it another way or not allowing this to happen, but I trust that you're good. You're good all the time. Your plans for me are good to give me a hope and a future. Believe that. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.